Ava Hartling, welcome to The Brand is Female. This week, my guest is Alison McNamara, founder of Mara, a prestige line of algae-infused skincare that became an instant favorite, selling out at retailers from Sephora to Credo Beauty, Blue Mercury, the Detox Market, and more. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Before launching Mara, Allison was a TV host, producer, and fashion and beauty journalist for outlets such as Pop Sugar, Refinery29, Who What Where, and Entertainment Tonight. Growing up in California, Allison was always inspired by the sea. She spent two years developing the Mara exclusive algae formula, which I do apologize for calling seaweed in our interview. A formula that's clinically designed to plumb, firm, and smooth with ingredients harvested through wild collecting in France and Ireland. Mara's first to market award-winning formulas are made from algae, transformative actives, superfoods, adaptogens, and mega hydrators. Listen to my conversation with Mara's founder, Allison, and find out about her journey to building a successful skincare brand from just one product. Allison, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I typically start these conversations by trying to get to the origin, the story of of your journey as a as an entrepreneur. And I want to ask you, when you were a young girl growing up, what kind of career did you imagine for yourself later in life? There were so many careers that I had imagined for myself when I was younger. I you know really wanted to do something with space. I was really into politics and history. And I thought I was actually going to be a political analyst when I got to college. Um, I was really into just history and the political system. And I love arguing. So I thought I was going to be maybe a lawyer. But all these things kind of were pushed to the wayside when I went to USC because it's in the heart of the entertainment capital, Los Angeles. And I ended up switching my major into journalism and political science And I ended up working at E in entertainment and my career took a totally different turn because I fell in love with entertaining people and I wanted to do something in the entertainment industry. So I went into television hosting for my career, my first career, and now I'm here. So let's, let's bridge the gap between the two. So you obviously had a, you know, prolific career in, in entertainment, which probably connected with your interest in journalism and, you know, obviously, uh, speaking publicly, um, what made you, or what put you on the road to becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I've always loved telling stories and sharing people's stories. And I realized for so long when I was hosting that I was letting other people, giving other people the platform to tell their story. Mm -hmm. But I was really excited to kind of create my own story. And so I, when my show got canceled, I've always been into beauty. My family's in beauty and skincare. And I had this idea and it fell, it fell into place so naturally that it almost felt like it was a disservice to not try it out because we were able to get the trademark for the name. And I got the Instagram handles and the website and all these pieces started falling into place. And the story took shape really beautifully. And so I just was like, let's try it. So I started Mara as a side hustle and, you know, I'm very proud to where the brand's at now. Five years in, we're already at Sephora and have so many amazing other retail partners and we're sold globally with Cult Beauty. So it's really been a journey. Mm -hmm. 
Were there role models along the way? And it's interesting because, you know, you talked about being on the other side when you would interview. And I assume you'd speak to, you know, uh, different people who had started their own brands. Um, but were there role models specifically? Was there somebody that was an inspiration to you? I have so many inspirations, especially over the course of my career. I've gotten to work for some amazing female entrepreneurs. So one that really comes to mind is Jen Atkin from Way and Main Addicts. I worked for Main Addicts and consulted for them for years while I was building Mara. And I just, I think she's so genuine and authentic and I love her brand and what she's built. So she's been a big inspiration for me. Um, my first internship was at Who, What, Where, and I worked with Catherine Power and Hillary Kerr. And both of them are huge sources of inspiration for me as well. I love all of the brands that Catherine's built since then. And Hillary is an incredible writer. And so, you know, I, and then there are, there are people that I don't know that also serve as inspiration too. So I think it's nice mm-hmm. to kind of, I think there's so many more amazing people for in the, especially females that we can look up to in this space who've now launched and created really successful brands. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more representation and inspiration than even 10 or 20 years ago. Um, yeah. What, you know, the, the skincare, the beauty industry is a crowded space and it's amazing seeing, you know, a lot of women starting new brands and new companies within that space, but it comes with challenges because, you know, you kind of have to find your white space and there's less and less as more brands are, are, are being created. How did that, you know, go for you and, and what kind of niche were you really looking to carve out to make sure that your brand was going to stand out? I didn't approach it in terms of like looking for a niche and filling a white space. I just really created products that I hadn't found that I felt were missing from the market or things that I was gravitating towards that I couldn't find versions of. Mm -hmm. And so with Mara, when I launched it in 2018, Clean was a relatively newer term at the time. Now clean is more the expectation, not the exception. So there was kind of that. And then I felt like everything that was launching, this is like the era of Glossier and Saturday Skin and Millennial Pink. And so I felt like there was just a lack of of beauty, beautiful, clean brands that felt like heritage and like Mm. nostalgic. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted Mara to look like something that was really timeless and elegant So that was kind of when it came to the aesthetic, what I felt was missing. And then in terms of the ingredients, you know, I thought there was a really interesting story to tell around oil-based clean actives Mm -hmm. and it really hadn't been done before. And it's a great way to get actives into the skin. And without knowing it, that kind of became our, our hook. And there's obviously emphasis on seaweed, um, which, uh, you know, I've, I've been a huge fan of just in terms of, you know, the natural properties, either as, you know, a supplement, something we can, we can actually eat, but turns out it's amazing for skincare as well. Where did the idea for seaweed come from? Well, yeah, algae is the underlying thing that kind of laces the brand together. And Mara is the last four letters of my last name. It also means sea in Gaelic, mm. and I'm an Irish citizen and a U.S. citizen. Um, but so it kind of pays homage to my Irish roots. But the name actually came from the Sea of Marmara in Turkey. So everything that we do was really tied to the ocean, and I love it. It had this, this like family tie-in to me. And that was kind of the basis for using algae across the line. We are by no means the first brand to use algae, but mm. the ones that we use are really unique and we wild collect, so we source it via hand, um, so super sustainably. 
in Europe. And so I think that really kind of sets us apart in that space. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, what was the reception like? And, you know, when you were first coming out with the brand, trying to find partners, you know, retail partners, for example, um, was that challenging at all? Or how did you go about creating that network, you know, of, of retailers who would carry the brand eventually? Right when we launched, I just launched a D2C and was like, I hope someone wants to buy it, let alone maybe carry it. And it was really successful kind of from the get-go, thanks to Instagram and mm. people that were posting about it. And we did launch with Credo Beauty really quickly after launch. We launched with them three months after being out. And that was really important to me, getting kind of a, a niche but larger boutique retailer like a Credo that had very strong opinions and Mm -hmm, viewpoints mm -hmm. on clean because they really told that story for us. And so we launched with them really quickly. And then, yes, of course, I mean, retail is tough. You, you know, you, you, you make less money with retail. So Mm -hmm. you, you definitely have to make sure you're positioned correctly in terms of pricing to do what it takes to not only sell to them, but also to market within the store and be successful. So retail is challenging. And so we only add on like one to two larger partners per year, mm-hmm. which is why we've kind of slowly grown our larger footprint. And then I love being in little boutiques because I think it's a great point of discovery, especially in cute like vacation towns, like if you're in Aspen or if you're in Martha's Vineyard um, or like in the in Cannes where we in all these little stores kind of throughout the world, which I find um, as really fun touch points for Mara too. Mm-hmm. How do you keep that connection with clients? And it's interesting, I was speaking to another uh, entrepreneur in a, in a skincare industry recently. And she was talking about how, you know, when she first launched, she had a a physical boutique and she was, it was her behind the counter. So she was getting kind of that one-on-one exchange with her customers and, you know, she would hear their, their feedback and she would tell them about the brand. How can you replicate that you know, today, most of the, the purchases we make, uh, you know, take place online. Um, how are you able to build kind of that connection with your community? Definitely tougher, especially when you are a small team, because I would love to be doing everything all the time, but I just can't be, but I am really active on our socials. So whether it's, you know, doing, um, we, we, if we get a lot of inquiries about the flower acid algae serum, making sure we're making educational videos for TikTok and Instagram and actively answering questions and doing, ask me anything, really engaging with our community through our social platforms is probably the way that we do it most. Mm. And then obviously I'm reading all the comments. Like that is one thing I troll the comments across all of our major retailers, all of our website. Like I see what's coming in. So we see what people are gravitating towards because I think it's really important. So that is the good side of social media, being able to have, you know, almost that direct exchange with, with clients from the other side. Definitely. Mm-hmm. You've talked about your interest in storytelling. Um, how did you bring that knowledge to uh, building your brand? And how do you kind of keep that story going? And I think for a lot of you know women listening to us who are maybe launching their business or trying to work on their brand, um, it's, it's not always obvious where to start with storytelling when you're trying to sell a product and still kind of build that compelling you know, story around who you are as a founder or what the brand is about. So what, what would be your advice? I think my advice would be that this is how I do it. At least I, I like to approach each new product that we're developing. Like I'm actually writing a story. So what is the main underlying, you know, what's the target of this product? Is it anti-aging? Is it a brightening product? What is the target end goal? And then figuring out the active. I like to use singular active formulas. Not everyone formulates that way, but that's how we do it. 
So if it's a retinol-based product, then we build um, around the retinol with synergistic ingredients that have not only efficacy, but have a great story to them. And then we find, you know, we, we then go into raw material sourcing and make sure that we're sourcing things that are wild collected, sustainably sourced, or are close to where we're manufacturing for carbon emissions. So we kind of build out that second layer of the story. Then we go into testing. And then as we kind of get the product going, um, we actually custom make artwork for the top of our boxes. So I'll make like a mood board and I love pulling from Pinterest and each product kind of has two words, two to three words, two emojis and a color mm-hmm. that go with it. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of ties into the rest of the story and the ethos of it. And it really just builds super organically. And then I write, I do all the copywriting still. Oh, and wow. so I think, yeah, I love doing it. So everything that you read that's on the back of the box, all of our taglines, those are things that, you know, I, we spend so much time milling over, but really I'm the one that's like writing them. And uh, that becomes kind of like the DNA of each product. Mm. You're in an area of beauty, you know, focused on clean ingredients, natural ingredients. Um, there's a ton of greenwashing today, and we know a lot of brands that are, you know, not necessarily. And the definition of clean is, uh, you know, varies from from brand to brand. It, it can be very confusing for consumers, and you know, the industry is not fully regulated when it comes to certain claims being made by uh, quote unquote clean beauty brands. How do you suggest, you know, consumers can try to navigate the space and, you know, understand what's a real natural product or clean beauty product and try to stay clear of, you know, companies who are abusing greenwashing? It's really tough. I mean, it, it you know, there, there are places that I've even shopped from and purchased from then to find out later that that wasn't necessarily true and it was greenwashing. So mm-hmm. it is really hard. I think brands that like overdo it just in the, in the marketing on the sustainability are usually the ones that are greenwashing the most. Like right. if you're telling me you're doing something so much, chances are you're probably not doing it. So at least for Mara, it's really organically woven into how we operate and we try and choose ingredients that are the best ingredients that we can get, but also if, if one is located in Africa and we can get a one for one swap in Nicaragua, Nicaragua is so much closer to where we actually manufacture, we mm-hmm. would go with that one. So, um, I think it's really tough. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all making beauty products, which isn't really sustainable in general. Yeah. So I think just making smart choices, kind of like, you know, your diet, like you want to eat you know, healthy 80% of the time and then 20% of the time, maybe you, you cheat a little bit. I think it's the same kind of approach when it comes to making products. We do the very best we can as often as we can, but we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this season of the brand is female is made possible with the support of TD women and enterprise and they're about confidently building you as a woman entrepreneur myself. I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. And I mean, you, you bring up a good point. I, I think any new brand that's skincare or clothing, I mean, we're just adding, you know, to 
a sea of options that already exist, which can create more waste. Um, when it comes to things like packaging or the ingredients that you source, do you find that it's, it's getting easier? I mean, no product is a hundred percent sustainable. I think the, you know, we often hear the only sustainable option is one you already own. So you're not creating new waste, but, uh, do you find that it, it is, possible today, maybe easier to work with suppliers and, try, you know, getting the, um, the, the, the materials that you need to really make it as uh, eco-responsible as possible. The space is so innovative, especially for unit cartons and even primary packaging. We're seeing things made out of mushroom, made out of, you know, bamboo, and it's really cool and it's amazing. So I'm, it's always exciting to see like the new options that are out there. Mm -hmm. We from the beginning have already, you know, are already really sustainable. We use um, this recyclable and recycled blue glass which is really, really nice. Um, we've got minimal to no plastic. We're actually certified plastic neutral. Um, so we make sure that for the little plastic that we do use, we offset it by removing it from the ocean. And our unit cartons are FSC certified. So there isn't really much more that we can do as a brand. Um, but I do think the options out there for new brands who are starting to are endless. If you're a brand mm -hmm. that really wants to not invest in glass because it's so much more expensive, like what we do, um, there are so many more options instead of using virgin plastic than there were than even when I launched. Right. So it's amazing. Speaking of, you know, trying to do less, you also launched with one product, which is pretty innovative for, a, you know, a beauty brand. Uh, we're used to seeing, you know, a whole shelf. Um, tell me a little bit about the thinking behind that and, you know, I'm assuming that's something you're still uh, kind of infusing in your strategy for new product launches. At the time in 2018, when we launched with one product, it was kind of like taboo and people were like, you're launching with one product. Mm -hmm. But for one, it was all I could afford to do because the brand is self-funded and every launch has kind of paid for the next launch. And we still kind of have that. Obviously, we've got more more wiggle room now, but um, that's kind of was the intention behind it. And I also felt that when I launched the brand, we were in the middle of that Korean skincare routine crisis, 20 plus steps. And it's like, you don't need that many products. Your skin can't even absorb all those ingredients. Mm -hmm. Like the actual efficacy that you're getting from using that many products is slim to none. So why not just invest in fewer, better things? And so the idea behind launching with the one product and launching specifically with universal oil was this idea that it really is the all-in-one product that you need. If you're going to buy one product that you're going to use after washing your face, this is going to be it. It hydrates. It has anti-aging actives, um, amazing fatty acids for the skin. And so that was kind of the, the reasoning behind launching with one product. And now it is much more trendy. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, you, well, you, you started the trend basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you year there were a few brands yeah, that did it, but yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm honored to be a part of that, that narrative. So you proved it, it, it can be successful at least. Um, tell me about the kind of responsibility you feel you have as the founder of a company, as a leader, you know, for your brand. I think there's uh, a, a ton of pressure being put on female founders specifically, you know, to be perfect. The company has to achieve success. The founder herself has to have to, has to keep a certain image. Um, we've seen a few beauty skincare founders, you know, get heavily criticized if the company is not performing as well as investors were expecting, for, for example. Um, so I think there's more pressure on female founders than male founders. And we're kind of seeing that in the skincare and beauty industry specifically. So how, how, what kind of responsibility, what kind of pressure do you feel as, uh, you know, as a founder to live up to your potential? 
Well, I, I do agree with you that there is a lot of pressure, especially in the female founders, more so than a male founder, because they're allowed to fail in a way and be okay with it. And I feel like women don't, aren't given that same opportunity. And we learn when we fail, right? Mm-hmm. So that is that is yeah. a disservice. But at the end of the day, I mean, of course, I feel pressure, and I'm so excited to have the opportunity to be at these large retailers. But since I don't have um, any sort of VC backing and we're mm-hmm. privately owned, I, I feel like I have a little less pressure. The only pressure I have is really coming from myself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good place to be. I have high expectations, so don't you worry. There's plenty of pressure to go around. But I think you add another element, another layer when you have some sort of you know equity from other people in the business. And right. so I'm not quite there yet. At some point we do plan to raise, whether it's private equity or VC. But I think uh, once I've done that, I'll, I'll probably know the meaning of this of this question a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. Co- we'll come back and chat. <laughs> I was going to ask if it's a conscious decision to not, you know, uh, uh, not raise funds yet and not get external funding. But it sounds like you're gearing up to eventually be there. It's definitely been a cognizant choice that we wanted to make and being able to take the brand this far has been incredible. And I definitely want to have at least one to two years of of Sephora underneath my belt just Mm -hmm. to see where the business is going and understand projections without infusing more capital into the business. And, you know, it's, the results have been impressive so far. So we're, we're really excited, but yes, at some point it would be nice to, you know, have someone else, a part of the team. Mm -hmm, Do you feel that there's still space, you know, if someone is thinking of starting a new skincare line, a new beauty brand, you know, is it still possible in 2023? Um, can they carve out a space for themselves? Or do you think that we're reaching saturation point? I never think that there's, I never think that there's not any room for anyone else at the end of the day, right? There's always going to be room for someone else to be the star, but it just has to be done so well. And it has to, I mean, timing is everything. So I think timing right now, I probably wouldn't launch a brand right now. I do think we're kind of, you know, reaching that key, that, that top of the funnel for saturation. But I do think maybe in one year could be a great time, Mm -hmm. one to two years. I don't know. It's really hard to say. My dad always says like a, a new ship leaves every day. And I guess what I he like means that. by that, it, yeah, is that like, uh, you know, the ship's going to leave and is it going to make it? Probably, maybe not. I don't mm-hmm. know. Who knows? But like, you you got to try. And so, and one person is going to be successful. So why not it be you? Mm-hmm. Do you make a point of supporting fellow women entrepreneurs? And you've worked, you know, with quite a few founders before launching your own brand or at, at the time you were building your own brand. Um, how do you support other female founders and how can you know, we as customers in general do more for female founded companies. Well, I think do by do to do more, you would just support the brands by buying f- female founded businesses, mm-hmm. right? Like buying products from them. But I think, you know, we definitely support each other. I have an amazing, I have several amazing groups of founders. They're kind of not all connected, but I've got several amazing groups of founders. We've got this one called the vault where we do dinners a little more than quarterly. I actually have one this week. We're all from different types of CPG products. So everything from fashion and fitness to pets and beauty and lifestyle. So it's really nice to hear their perspective on things. And then I have a small group of beauty founders who we all have similar like-minded brands in the same or similar spaces. And we're not all located in Los Angeles, so we don't get to do dinner as often, but we have a group chat and we have a Slack channel. And, you know, so it's those types of things where it's just nice to connect with other people who are going through the same issue. Like, Mm. Hey, I'm going through this type of website issue, or have you had to deal with this type of thing with the retailer? Like those types of things. Mm. 
what kind of network do you find you've had to build around yourself, kind of, you know, kind of going to external trusted advisors for certain issues? And it sounds like you are getting that from your community of fellow female founders. But who are those advisors that really you rely on on a, on a daily or weekly basis? You know, I'm a pretty private person just by nature. I think I love like getting information, like having other people tell their stories. But since I've always been in the interviewing spot, it's not always like the easiest thing for me to ask for advice or like ask for help. I don't know. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, but my dad is in beauty and he is like my, my most trusted advisor. He's the one I go to for every single thing. And so kind of like, he's the person I think I, I rely on and ask the most. I'm the most vulnerable for sure mm. when talking with him. So what's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome since launching your brand? Oh my gosh. There's like, so I, I get asked this question. It's like, everything is a challenge. Right. What do you like? What do you mean? Everything is so challenging. <laughs> you, like, you can have more than one. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, some of them that have been really challenging, I think taking a brand into Sephora with a small team, like, mm-hmm. you know, six people or less is, is challenging because there are a lot of demands for the business and being able to support it from the marketing angle and just making sure the pages look in- amazing when you launch was just, it was just challenging. It was so amazing, but it was challenging to do. I think, um, you know, as you launch more products, I think there is this kind of like, you get scared that, you know, maybe you're not living up to like the last product. So I think that mm. kind of idea of, um, what's the word for it where you, you just feel like you don't belong sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, you did it once, but like, can you do it again? So I feel like that challenge is something that's more like mm. a all, all encompassing anxiety, yes. uh, that I think a lot of founders have, especially for, for brands like mine who launch single products and they, they weigh in so heavily to the overall story. Like I haven't launched a product this year. My first product of this year launches in August and it's the only true skin launch for the year. So it's a lot of pressure. So each, you know, so that's kind of the, where, where it lies with me. How do you deal with pressure when you're, you know, kind of feeling that anxiety or, you know, you're feeling stuck trying to make a decision? What's something that helps you kind of keep moving and stay, stay hopeful and optimist even when you're, you're facing obstacles? So I'm always optimistic. I'm like perpetually optimistic, maybe to a fault. I like just mm-hmm. think everything's going to be fine. Like it's always going to go my way. And I think a positive mindset really helps. But mm-hmm. then I think having like a really healthy diet, a great exercise mm-hmm. schedule. I, I do Pilates by Amanda. I love it. And acupuncture are great ways just to calm yourself down a little bit. Mm. And what's your approach to leadership? Um, I'm assuming you're building, you know, a small brand, but, you know, being a leader also means the community that we're speaking to our consumers, you have retail partners. Um, what's your definition or, or your views on leadership? I just want to, I think with leadership, I just want to be someone that people enjoy being around. You know, mm-hmm. I think that I think I worked for, you know, all sorts of people over the course of my career. And I, I want people to want to do business with me and want to be in the same room as me and not like get scared when I'm there. So I think being approachable and being authentic and being just uniquely myself has always been my leadership style. And tell me a little bit about kind of objectives that you have for the brand and maybe beyond, you know, hitting a certain number in terms of revenue or, you know, how, how do you measure success for your company? 
oh wow, how do we measure success? Well, I think right now we have this very, you know, unique opportunity where we're in over half of Sephora stores in the U.S. And I think the major goal is to grow within those walls of Sephora, right? So we want to be in every single Sephora store here in the U.S. We would love to roll out to Canada and eventually UK because now they're big in the UK and the Middle East market. Um, I think just a global expansion would be really important because I'd mm. love to serve places like Australia. I think our brand would mm. do so well there. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, having a global approach to our expansion where it's less about creating more stuff and really just growing the, the core hero skews globally. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we've got numbers in mind that we want to hit. And at some point, you know, I have other ideas that I, I've created that don't even fit in Tamara. So I think a, a true measure of success would be able to get this running to a point where I could then, you know, focus on creating maybe the next thing, uh, but that's a long time from now. So, mm. and how do you measure success kind of, you know, for yourself as, as a human, as you know, you're, you're both a person in addition to being an entrepreneur, what are measures of success or kind of self-realization for yourself? I think the only measure I use for success is just my level of happiness. Mm-hmm. You have to, because if you're happy and even if it's a t- like a tough time and you're happy, like it doesn't really matter because you're enjoying what you're doing and you're enjoying learning through this kind of strife that you're going through. So I use happiness as a total barometer for success. That's a good one to use. And yeah. in closing, what would be your top two or three, you know, pieces of advice for women entrepreneurs, either somebody who's starting out or somebody who's already going with their business? Get a good lawyer <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, really make sure that you're understanding where your money's going. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people who don't come from a finance background, I don't come from a finance background, kind of let someone else do that. Yeah. But I think that's why Mara has been successful is because I really took the time to learn the finance portion of the business mm-hmm. and operate the ERP system that we use mm-hmm. and really see where money's going because then you can make smarter choices. And I think sometimes we're just, we get our hands tied into a place where you're like, okay, just pay them to take care of it, where you would save so much more money money, time, energy, resources, if you, you know, just learn how to kind of operate it yourself. Mm, very good point. And, and sometimes that doesn't come naturally because, you know, we might be going business because we're really good at whatever it is we're, we're marketing or building, but we also have to wear the hat of CFO and HR, you know, leader. Exactly. Thank you so much. It's been great hearing about your journey, Allison, and congrats for everything you've achieved. Looking forward to seeing what's next for the brand. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico.